Good evening. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming tonight. And this is a wonderful crowd. And, you know, every once in a while, I think we do forget. I mentioned it kind of in my prayer that we've got down here, we've got youth going on. We have a ladies' Bible study and a kids' program going upstairs. There's a lot of things going on at Dorisville on Sunday nights. It's just incredible. It really is. And uh, I'm glad we're a church that does different things on different levels, uh, meeting the needs of people. I really appreciate the song, Tiffany, that you sang tonight. Uh, it kind of helps me because I was trying to say, how do I introduce what I want to share tonight? We talked about this morning, you know, the importance of marriage. We talked about the, the, the endurance needed for, for marriage. We talked about that. We talked about God, a biblical view of marriage. We talked about all of that. But I wanted to share tonight the possibility of how do you have joy in that journey. I think that's where I want to kind of fall at anyway. And, but you know what? Sometimes finding joy in the journey is hard. Did you know that? I mean, it really is. And the thought, Tiffany, of your song that, that Jesus will still be there. That, that, okay, if we make a commitment to God, God, I'm not in the ideal marriage. Okay, I'm not. I, I would tell you, by the way, um, I don't mind sharing this. I would have shared it this morning if we had a little more time. But um, Judy and I will be celebrating our 42nd wedding anniversary uh, this summer, June 21st. 42 years together. And I'll tell you right now, I'll look you dead in the eye, and tell you that it's been easy for me to be married to Judy for 42 years. Um, she is a wonderful lady, and she's very gracious, much more forgiving than I am, a whole lot more godly than I am, and uh, she loves me. She loves me deeply. She loves me unconditionally. Um, I, that's all I can tell you. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's harder for her to be married to me. Um, I'm just being honest with you. Um, those of you who know me know that I have jerkitis sometimes. Um, I have some, some times in my life I could go back and say, yeah, I remember this day and this day and this day. Times in my life when I just wasn't kind and, and in our marriage, in our family. And I just was. I acted very carnally. And it uh, usually involved me being frustrated about something. And some of you all may have experienced my jerkitis here. So it's been, it's been easy for me to be married to Judy I want you to know it's not always been easy for her, at least from my perspective, from my take. And yet, it's been a wonderful journey. You don't have to have a perfect marriage. You don't have to have a perfect couple. You don't have to have a perfect wife or a perfect husband to have a prosperous and growing marriage. Amen? That's what, come on, amen? Now, don't y'all be, y'all are too quiet this morning already, so don't get, you got to be talking up tonight. But that's where, that's where the concept that Jesus will still be there, and that's where the concept of, you know, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's where it really comes in when marriage is kind of difficult, kind of difficult. Now, I want to begin, as sometimes I do, I just want to review those two things that we talk about so much at Dorisville, um, and that is Matthew twenty two thirty seven because I really think it is very, the more I thought about it this afternoon, how key this is to marriage, and also the tail end of John 10, 10. So that's where I want to start tonight before we dive into Ephesians chapter 5. I really honestly believe, my, my friend Jeremy shared this morning, how he shared last Wednesday night, how we talk a lot here, and if you're new to our church, this is something you need to know, that, that we talk a whole lot about, about scriptures. There's several different versions of Matthew 22 where it simply says this, the simple version, love God, love people. Love God, Love people. That's what Jesus basically says in Matthew chapter 22. And, and the various gospels have various accounts and translations of this. But it's hugely important. It all hinges. As Jesus said in this this morning, all the law and prophets depend on these two commands. It's just huge that we love God and that we love people. 
It's true in life. It's true in, in marriages. It's true in families. It's true in business. It, uh, we, we are, from our perspective of business, it's always true. And Jesus said those words. He said this morning in Matthew 22, uh, 37, he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And I'm not sure we can hear that enough. Now listen to me. I'm not sure we can hear that enough. I'm, I'm fearful that we hear it, but we're slow to apply it. I'm fearful that we hear it, but we're slow to truly to apply it. We have got to be all in with God in all areas of our life. Amen? All in with God in all areas of our life. And then, and you can't go past this. He says the greatest commandment, most important commandment. But then he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, that is just phenomenally deep. That's just incredible that God says, now the number one deal is love me. And the number, now, I'm sitting there going, this is so big. You know, the number one deal is love me. And the number two deal is love your brother, love your sister, love your neighbor as yourself. How big and important is that? And then we ask ourselves, Marsha, we go, well, how is that playing out in my life? How, you know, if, what, if I was being on trial tonight, not for being a Christian, that's the common one, whether there be enough evidence to convict you, but I will ask this, if I was on trial tonight and the, and the question was, posed was, Dwayne, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, how hard would I have to come to defend a case for that? How hard would you have to defend the case for that? What is the evidence in your life that proves that you love the Lord your God with the heart, soul, and mind? Secondly is, obviously, okay, the second commandment, like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. What evidence is there in your life that you love people like you love you? What evidence is there? So I think it really deserves, you know, sometimes Judy will cook something, and, and she'll cook it and be new, and I'll eat the first load, you know. And, and then I'll say, you know what? I need to try some more of that. I'm just not sure yet. I'm really just liking it more, more of it, okay? And I know as a teacher, I, I've been taught as a teacher that some things you gain, you gain uh, retention by repetition, okay? So it's important, again, that we talk about this tonight, just like we just have. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And I love that other translation. It adds in strength. The other gospel, it adds in strength. It's a great commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is just not the guy next door. Again, it could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be your children. It could be the person you're sitting next to in this church service tonight. We are to love one another. And it says, all the law and the prophets hen and depend on these two. Then, he said in John 10.10, 10, and again, we won't repeat the first part of this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We got that really good. But I wanted, once again, just a touch, just a touch, okay? I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And I want you to ask yourself this question. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? If, you're, if, if I were to ask you an honest, we were one-on-one -on -one somewhere, and I would ask you, hey, how's your life? Would you call it abundant? Would you call it abundant? And then what would come out of your mouth probably something like this. Do I know it's not abundant? And let me tell you why. And you would start listing a long list of circumstances about why your life is not abundant. Guess what? Best I can tell, the abundant life does not depend on circumstances. 
It is not. It is a wellspring of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundant. He is the source of the abundant life. And if he is the source of the abundant life, not church, not religion, not some of the rituals and habits and disciplines that we do, if he is the source of that, then that cannot be taken away from us. If we will be intimately in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I think a huge factor of that also, not only an intimate relate, not only an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, but an intimate relationship with His Word. Is it Colossians? I used it like last week. You know, Colossians where it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Remember the last word? Richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? So not only an intimate relationship with Jesus, but an intimate relationship with His Word. And His Word is abiding in us richly. So those two things are just very, very important, particularly when we approach a topic that can be difficult, this topic of marriage. All right? So, now, Paul starts his discussion um, in verse number 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I, I wrote down this word. I said, before there's a 22, there's a 21. In other words, before 22 which starts the discussion of the role of the wife in the marriage, there's a verse 21. And verse 21 is hugely important, and here's what it says. Now, don't miss this, because this is one of those things we run right past. We run right past it, okay? And we should not. Here's what Paul said. Before he delves into 22, he says these words. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before he says, um, wives, this is your role in the marriage, and before he says, husbands, this is role, your role in the marriage, he says, oh, oh, first off, first off, you need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, now watch, watch. Did you, have you connected it yet? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You don't, you don't do this reverence thing or the submission thing because the person that you're submitting to, whether it, be, whether it be someone you're sitting next to tonight, someone you're going to sleep with tonight, your husband or your wife, or your children, or whoever it might be that comes to your mind, you're not doing that because they're worthy for you to submit to. You're doing it out of reverence for Christ. When, when I talk to children about being baptized... I want to make sure they understand that baptism is not about salvation. It's so easy to shift gears and think bath, water, washing off. And I want to make sure they understand that Jesus is what washes away their sin, not some water and some baptistry tank. I make sure that they understand that. It's hugely important. Okay? Same thing here. I want to make sure you understand that, that the important thing is, is that when we submit to someone, when we submit to a situation even, that we're doing that out of reverence, out of love for Christ. The children, I tell them, you know, you want to know why you're baptized? And they say, well, good. I know I tell them, they've been thinking, well, isn't it like part of being saved? Like, I know it's not. Okay? I said, let me ask you a question. When, when your mom comes in, your mom comes in and says, hey, honey, would you mind go cleaning your room? I said, now, you may not want to even clean your room. Okay? But... If you love your mom, what will you do? Go clean the room. Go clean the room. Okay? So here's the deal. Because you are commanded, and hopefully you do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and it comes to this submission question about submitting to one another, 
and says out of reverence to Christ, what are you going to do? You're going to submit. That was not a loaded question. You're going to submit, okay? And again, not because the person may not be worthy or is worthy of that, but because that's what the Word of God says. Now, I found a couple of scriptures I think are very cool leading up to this discussion of wives and husbands. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, Paul uh, writes something really good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing. How much? Yeah, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, trust me. Trust me. In marriages, selfish ambition and conceit is a big marriage killer. It happens all the time. Again, David, the thought of a contract versus a covenant. Okay? The contract is what I can get out of it. What's for me? Not my commitment to the other person. What's in it for me? Okay? That manifests itself in selfish ambition or and or conceit. Okay? And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. So if you're in a relationship tonight, if you're in a marriage tonight, we're going to enter it with the thought and the concept of, I'm not going to do anything in this marriage out of selfish ambition or conceit. What's good for me or to puff me up. What's good for me or puff me up. But in humility, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Can I ask you a question? If, if we did this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves, how would that change? Shall we start big? How would that change our church? How would it change our convention? You want to go real big? A lot. Now, now we're going big. How would it change your life, your marriage? How would it change your family? If you truly, if it's if you, and by the way, you only start with you, and, and you, you know, you know, tell, tell him you're sorry. I will if he will. That is not what Paul says. You don't see a "I will if he will" clause in here. That's not there. So how would it honestly change our relationships, our relationships, whether it be marriage or a church, if we all did nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit? In other words, you know what? I really don't matter in the equation, okay? But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. How would that change us? Oh, my goodness. It would be huge, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be huge? Wouldn't it be huge? It's huge. But, Dwayne, that's no fun. That sounds hard. You didn't sign up for easy when you became a believer. The only thing easy in your salvation was that Jesus did it all and all you say is, I believe. That was the easy part. The rest of it, man, is commitment. And sometimes the journey's hard. Sometimes the journey is hard. Now, verse 4. Everyone, that was the negative, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So, so in other words, not only do we have this humility factor going on, but also we're to look out for the welfare and good of others. In other words, if you're a husband, you're looking out for the welfare and good of your wife and your children. If you're a wife, you're looking out for your husband and your children. If you're a child, yes, I would think even that way. If your children are old enough to be believers in Christ, they need to understand that that, that, that way of showing respect to your parents is watching out for them also. It's huge. It's big. It's big. The second scripture is some again, this is like this is one of those times you pull something out of its direct context, but but the truth works. In Amos 3 3. <laughs> yeah, Amos. Is that in the Bible? You know. 
Amos 3.3, it says this. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Let me tell you what I know. There's a power with two. There's a power with two. I'm going to share something with you in a moment, and I'm fixing to share it now, but I really don't want to share it yet. But every time I teach Ephesians 5, I had this angst in my spirit when we talk about um, the women's part about submitting to husbands. And I'll tell you why in just a moment, okay? I have that angst in my spirit. I finally figured it out. Um, but there is a power in two. And what I do want you to understand, marriage works better when the husband and the wife both understand their role and are not afraid to trust God with that role. Marriage works better when the husband and wife understand their role and they're not afraid to trust God, trust Christ with that role. Hence, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The power in marriage happens when two people understand their roles and they trust God in that role. Things happen when two come together. Um, I tried to find a better illustration of this, but I really couldn't find one because you're, you know, you're going to accuse me of being stupid. My only thing I can tell you is I was 16. Okay? So when I was 16, I worked at an apartment complex. And I was a... I cleaned carpets. I'm not even sure what I called me. I cleaned carpets. I mowed grass. Whatever they needed done, I did. Well, the maintenance man had a son. And he also did the same thing I did. And, and we were, like, always in trouble doing something. I mean, we're just very mischievous. And so we got into the pool house one day. It was our day to put the chemicals in the pools. Pulled. And don't ask me why we did this because it was incredibly stupid. We decided to find out what would happen if you mixed the chemicals. Yeah, not, let me, if you're ever tempted, if you're just sitting there and there's, there's a little something on your shoulder going, mix the chemicals in the pool house, resist the urge. Um, this thing just, we put these two chemicals together in this bucket and instantly this horrendous gas. I mean, I had blisters on my, on the eyeball, on my eyeballs. Um, I had this gas, but then it literally exploded. Fire erupted, hit the ceiling, scorched the ceiling, and fortunately it did not catch on fire. It just literally was an explosion. Knocked us backwards, okay? And all that happened when two chemicals that were kept apart came together. There was power. Now, that's a negative example for a positive truth. When two believers in Jesus Christ understand their roles in marriage and are willing to trust God with those roles, and they come together, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Trust me on that one. Then finally, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave or free. And there is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so understand, okay, that whatever Paul's fixing to say about roles in marriage, it has nothing to do with one being better than the other. And we want to be sure and thank the world for their twisting of scriptures and a lot of great misguided preachers who simply did not preach the truth, okay? This Ephesians chapter 5 is not about women are inferior to men, okay? But man, have they jumped all over it like white on 
rice. Okay? So it has nothing to do with that. In the view of God, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave or free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What you are are two believers in Jesus Christ who come together in bond and a powerful force for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Now, two thoughts before we delve into verse number 22. One is this, the Air Force. Um, some of you don't know, but I am a veteran and I spent 12 years in the Air Force. And then some, tonight someone said, did you love the Air Force? I really did. I love the Air Force. And I only got out of the Air Force to preach. That was the reason I left that career, um, because of that. But I also had the opportunity to work with officers. Um, for whatever reason, my very first duty assignment, I worked in the headquarters. And when I went to uh, my next duty assignment, I worked in the orderly room, worked with commander and first sergeant. Um, and then when I was overseas, I was in a flying squadron and worked with all the pilots, you know. And then when I came back, went to Missouri, I went and worked in a missile squadron where all the missile commanders were. And so all my life I've worked with, with officers. And if you know anything about the military, officers and, and enlisted are just on two different levels, okay? Now, look me in the eye. I want you to understand something. I worked with lieutenants, captains, colonels, uh, met a few generals, okay? Not one time, not one time in 12 years did I ever feel inferior because of their rank. Not one time, regard, and not all of them were perfect. Some were better leaders than others. But at no time did I feel like I was less of a man because they were over me. You want to know why? Because I knew who I was. I knew I was. I know that their rank was assigned to them by an act of Congress. Okay, I knew that that much. It was not because I, they were better than me. It's that they had rank assigned to them by an act of Congress. So, regardless of husband or wife, you need to understand something. It is not about you being inferior or stronger than the other. What it is about, okay, is organization and leadership. That's what it is about. Now. With that said, the reason I have an angst in my spirit, again, every time, I'm not afraid to teach the Word of God. Okay, I want you to know that. But every time I I go to to put my arms around Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, I have this angst in my spirit. And so I, uh, I move from my desk. You know, sometimes I do that. I move from my desk and went to my bedroom, and I'm reading these notes, and I'm, I'm saying, how can I say this tonight? This, this teaching on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And then it occurred to me, you know, the reason I have the angst in my spirit about teaching this is not because the women may not like what they're hearing. It's because I know how bad we men fail them. And I mean that. That's why. That's why. Uh, if you know anything about this scripture, you know the Bible says in verse 22 that the wives are submit to the husbands. And that the husbands are to love the wives as Christ loved the church. And the reason I have, Candy, the reason I have this angst in my spirit is because I know how badly we men fail on our part. And frankly, if I was a woman, I wouldn't want to submit to a guy who didn't love me right either. Just to be honest with you, it's the truth. Now, you should because it's the word of God. I get that. I understand that. But the reason I have this angst, I'm trying to say, ladies, I feel as, as godly men, we have failed you so much. In our relationships, in, you, in our marriage relationships, mine with Judy and wherever you are with yours. I really feel like we have not been the godly men that we should have been. And that's why I have this angst about teaching. I will share something with you tonight that has nothing to do with the message, but does. Um, Judy 
read me a letter from Beth Moore, and some of you know who Beth Moore is. Um, she's a female Bible teacher. Personally, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, I think God used her in a great way teaching. But she wrote this letter about how difficult it is to be a woman in a teaching role in, in evangelical circles. And it was quite um, a difficult letter to read. It really was. She was very kind, but she laid it out there. And some of the things she said happened to her, I was shocked. I was shocked. And so then, and what interesting enough, um, a member of the Gospel Coalition then responded to that, that with a letter of apology. And he apparently is one of the, well, a nationally known speaker. He said, I just need to apologize to Beth Moore because I was part of this. I was part of this. And, you know, if you want to read it, I think Judy put it on our website. Check it out when you get home. It's worth reading because it helps explain what I'm trying to say. Now, listen, ladies, your role as far as submission to your husband is regardless of how good or how strong or how godly your husband is. You do the submission thing for um, God and not for him. Okay? But at the same time, men, we need to be godly leaders. We need to be godly leaders. In fact, before I read 522, I want to read 525. Men, this is us. This is us. For husbands, this means love your wives. As godly leaders, we are commanded by the word of God to love our wives. Now, how are we to love our wives? As Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So men, we are commanded to love our wives with that kind of love. Can I hear an amen? This is huge, guys. This is huge. Here, here's what I know. You know, I, I would tell you that 522 talks about a woman is, a wife is to respect her husband. Part of that, a big chunk of that submission picture is respect. You know, Sarah respected Abraham, okay? All right, so a lot of it is respect. And men, men thrive on respect, okay? But here's what I know also. Women thrive on the emotional side of love, on love. And here's what I know. That men, if we would love our wives as Christ loved the church, you would be amazed to find them more than willing, generally speaking, to submit to you, to show you the respect you crave. But the truth is, guys, we're not doing our job. How do you know that? Uh, I know me, and I know some of y'all. We do not do our job. Ask yourself that. You know, we've done this several times. Let me ask you the question again tonight. Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? And what evidence would you point to that? A box of candy on Valentine's probably won't get the job done. Excuse me for being difficult with the men tonight, but the truth is that's where I am. So, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself... Gave us up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her uh, to himself as a glorified church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, instead she will be holy and without 
fault. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, in the same way, verse 28, in the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as you love your own bodies. Now, you and I both know what go on in the bathroom. You see, as we get that fancy deodorant put on our hairy armpits, we get that cologne and splash it all over, and we brush our little pearly yellows, whites, cream-colored. We get our gel out and frisk our hair up, and we look in the mirror and do our little stud thing, you know. Come on, we love our bodies. And, and Paul says, listen, listen, you should love your wife as you love yourself. Does that sound familiar? Love your neighbor as yourself? Paul just brings it home more, more special and says, look here, you're to love yourself or your wife as you love yourself. And he says, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of the body. So guys, we've got this huge responsibility. And whether you've been married two years or five years or ten years or forty years, wherever you find in that pecking order, I want to encourage men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It almost would be like a promise keeper's. Be the leader. Be the godly man. Be the loving godly man that God commands you to be. Make, you know, I love, so often I refer to the Jewish council. You remember that story? Some guys were getting saved that weren't Jews and some Judaizers came along and told Paul and the guys, you know, before you become Christians, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to have a little surgery. Okay? And Paul's going, I don't think that's in the Bible. He didn't really say that. But, you know, I, I don't think that's right. And so they decided they'd go to Jerusalem and let the, let the, the uh, senior saints there discuss this and make a decision. So they get there and, and Paul makes his case and the Judaizers make their case. And they're debating this thing, you know. And, and so finally, James, the half-brother Jesus, stands up and says, Hey, let's not make it hard for them to be believers. And he names like three things. I don't remember what they are. You know, names three things. And it did not involve a surgery, by the way. Three things for them to become believers in Christ. Let's, make it, let's not make it hard for them. Men, let's not make it hard for our wives to submit and respect us. Let's make it so that they look at us and said, that's a man I'll follow. That's the man I'll die for. That's the man I'll submit to. Let's be the men God wants us to be. Let's help our wives be the women that God wants them to be by us being the man that we should be. You want respect? Love your wife. You want respect? Serve your wife. You want respect? Be the man God wants you to be to your wife. And then you're going to find out. All of a sudden, Ephesians 5, the angst is taken out of the air. You know, wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord because of the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. And that is so true. Listen, listen. The family needs organization. The family needs organization. And God gave us that. Listen, His plan, listen, His plan is not flawed. His plan is not flawed. Follow his plan. The family needs a leader, a godly leader, and by God's grace, sir, it is you. Be the man God wants you to be. Love your wife as Christ commands you, and watch what happens as she falls in line, as she says, you know what? I gladly submit my leadership. I take my hands off the leadership and give it to this man there. 
Now, again, you should do it regardless because God commands it. But I want to try to make it easy for you. Men, be the man that God wants you to be. He's the Savior of His body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, okay, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Can I ask you a question? Is submitting to Christ a burden for you? Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Um, is, is submitting to Christ, how, does that make you feel like a second-class citizen? Well, no, it shouldn't. Well, you're exactly right. And, and Paul says, you know, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husband the same way. It's not about a second-class relationship. It's about being obedient to God. But men, let's make it easy for them by loving them. So he closes in 533. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, Paul says. And secondly, and the wife must. And here's, here he, she uses, he uses that word that's so important, I think. And the wife must respect her husband. We meet the needs of our wives by loving them. And they help meet our need by respecting us. I do believe Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And I honestly believe that abundant life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ centered in the path of obey, obeying his word whether it be marriage or whatever it might be, a relationship with Christ centered in obedience to his word. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for letting me share tonight. Father, I, I thank you for placing on my heart, Father, to speak to the men tonight. I know the lady's obedience does not depend on my obedience. I, I get that. I do, Father. But God, I just know how often we fail, how often this man fails to be the godly leader he needs to be. Father, I'm asking specifically in Jesus' name for you to speak to the hearts of the men here tonight. May we be godly men. May we be men deeply in love with you and deeply in love with our wives. May there not be any selfish ambition or conceit, Father, in our role as husband or as father. Lord, I pray that we will love. Father, I thank you for the wives here tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will make it easy for them to be obedient to your word. And they will joyfully and willfully, Father, serve with their husband. Father, I pray, Lord, you called them a helpmeet back in Genesis. Father, as we form this powerful team, when the two come together, Father, the powerful team that is, and God, we will see Satan defeated and the kingdom advanced. So thanks, God, for your word tonight. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Dave has a